Some people strum a guitar with a pick, and some strum with their fingers, and some folks who strum with their fingers use their nails, which are basically little picks. Whether you're playing finger style with a pick or some sort of weird hybrid thing, the important thing in the end is that you're hitting the string. Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm so glad that you joined me to talk about music strummed with a pick, music made with just fingers, and sometimes music made with nails that sound like picks. This is a listener-supported podcast, which means that I keep making it because you all pay to support it. There's Patreon and PayPal links for just that down in the show notes, and while it's easy to just sort of listen and assume other folks will chip in to support Strong Songs, it feels really good to actually support independent shows that you like. On this episode, a song by one of the most beloved, celebrated, and widely requested singer-songwriters of all time, a beguiling artist who effortlessly merged folk and jazz into something all her own, and someone I'm really excited to talk about. So hey, let's tune up and get into it. Say a song is about love, that doesn't actually tell anyone all that much. Saying a song is about love is kind of like saying it's in the key of F or it's played on an acoustic guitar. It tells you something, but there are so many different ways to play in the key of F, so many different ways to play an acoustic guitar, and of course, there are so many different ways that a musician can talk about love. Love can be a deep and physical thing. It can be immediate, reflected in heavy, sensual music. Or it can be a tragic, lost thing, echoing in music that's mournful and atmospheric. It can be something abstract, sitting just at the periphery of a broad, unknowable soundscape. And it can be immediate and joyful, bouncing along like a blissful pop tune. Among so many other possibilities, love can even be hesitant and fleeting, something not yet realized, something just barely anticipated, and this hesitant, fleetingly glimpsed love might best be expressed by a light acoustic guitar. That guitar could buzz in place like a hummingbird, the air shimmering beneath its wings. The hummingbird hovers in place, regarding the blooming petals before it, a little bit hesitant, a little bit unsure what to do. And that's how this episode's song begins, a hovering guitar, suspended in the air, taking a breath before plunging forward and singing out. There's no trouble here, just the one and only Joni Mitchell and her beautiful 1974 song, Help Me. I'm so excited to finally talk about Joni on Strong Songs. She's one of the most musically interesting and stylistically distinct songwriters I've ever heard, and she really knew how to assemble and arrange a killer backing band. I've had such a good time learning this song, and I can't wait to dig into it with you all. Help me, I think I'm falling in love too fast. It's got me hoping for the future and worrying about the past. 
There is no one like Joni Mitchell, never has been, never will be. Her certain combination of total melodic and harmonic freedom, meticulous lyrics that still somehow come across like she improvised them on the spot, beautifully light orchestrations, unusual inventive guitar parts, and of course, over it all, one of the most distinct and beautifully effortless vocal styles ever put to tape. She is inimitable, and her music is a seemingly endless well of inspiration and artistry. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. I've listened to so much Joni over the past month, and it's been a pretty great month. I really recommend doing it. I knew from a pretty early point that I was going to talk about Help Me on the show. It's probably my favorite Joni Mitchell song. It's so good. But I really recommend just taking some time and just going through Joni Mitchell's 1970s. Start with Ladies of the Canyon, and then of course go on to Blue, her iconic record Blue. Just before our love got lost, you said... I am as constant as a northern star And I said Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar 1971's Blue, one of the greatest singer-songwriter albums ever recorded released the same year as another contender for that title, her friend Carol King's Tapestry, which if you're looking to contextualize Joni's work alongside other artists that I've talked about on this show, put Blue and Tapestry back to back. With your face sketched on it twice So listen to Blue, of course, listen to Blue, you've probably already listened to Blue, but then go through For the Roses, Court and Spark, The Hissing of Summer Lawns, and of course Hegira, which features some beautiful bass playing from the great Jaco Pastorius. Keep going if you like, but just those six records will give you so much great music to focus on, so many incredible musicians. They'll take you on a musical journey over the course of just six years of Joni's own journey, and that's a trip that I plan to take and retake alongside her for the rest of my life. It was a real joy to spend so much time in that space as I was working on this episode and doing prep, and right smack dab in the middle of that time period sits 1974 and her album Court and Spark, and the second track on that album, Help Me. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that Court and Spark was Joni's sixth full-length studio album following her 1972 album, For the Roses. It was recorded over the course of much of 1973, and it features some top L.A. session musicians of the era, in particular saxophonist Tom Scott, the great Tom Scott, and his band, L.A. Express. There's this light, floating, highly technical jazz sensibility that permeates the whole album. It's perhaps never more present than on Help Me, a song written and produced by Mitchell that goes so far beyond traditional folk musical stylings that it almost becomes its own little subgenre of music.
So let's get into it. Help Me, of course, was written by Joni Mitchell. It features her on lead vocals and backup vocals, as well as acoustic guitar. It also features Tom Scott playing saxophone. He's playing flute. He plays some Barry sax in there, I think. A lot of different uh, woodwinds and reeds. It also features the great Joe Sample on electric piano, known probably best as a player in the Jazz Crusaders. It also features Larry Carlton on the electric guitar, and I'm going to be talking a lot about Larry Carlton's playing. Of course, he's another really well-known jazz player, another member of the Crusaders, and just was around the scene a lot in the 1970s in Los Angeles, but plays on a ton of different records, a killing jazz player. So that's Larry Carlton on electric guitar, Max Bennett playing bass, and John Guerin playing drums. Also another great player. I mean, really killing band on this record, as you can probably already hear. So let's get into it. As you will see, Help Me is a very unusual song in a lot of ways, but there are a few things that I want you to keep in mind as we get into this analysis. So first of all, and really primarily, this song isn't in a solid key. That's one of its defining attributes. It's this flighty song. Well, really, it's less about flight than it is about falling. It exists in the air as the narrator realizes she's falling in love, but she worries about how she's been burned in the past, and she acknowledges that as much as she loves love, she loves her freedom even more. So it's a very in-between song, a very liminal song lyrically and also musically. So one of the big ways that this song always feels in between and unsettled is in terms of its harmony. It's just, it has this unsettled feeling. As you listen to it, you'll never really feel like you reach a home chord. Each chord is more of a waypoint, a place where Joni and the band pause for a period of time, different lengths of time for each chord, before moving on to the next place. Sometimes it feels like it's in D. Most of the sheet music for this song is written in the key of D, but just as often it centers around F and G. And I think the song is purposefully written to avoid, to kind of resist the idea of a solid landing point. So it's constantly alternating between floating and falling. It never really takes a breather or sits still. So my goal with this analysis is going to be to help you orient yourself amid that tumble, you know, this song's harmonic and melodic swirl, to really see the song and the arrangement in its entirety as you move through it, and to just start to see it that way, rather than just floating along with Joni as she moves through it chord to chord. The more I learned it, the more I was able to do that, and that's a really beautiful experience. This is a beautiful composition when you view it as a whole. So let's start where else but at the very beginning with a guitar intro that tells you a lot more about this song than it may seem. So that opening chord, played by Joni on the acoustic guitar, is basically an A sus 2. It's an open A with an E, like a fifth, and then a B instead of a third. That's an A sus 2 chord. You can play that chord pretty easily on an acoustic guitar in standard tuning. You just drop two fingers down on the second fret, and you get that chord. This is what that sounds like. Sounds fine, all the notes are there, but it doesn't quite sound the same as when Joni plays. 
So the reason it sounds just a little bit different, despite having pretty much the same notes, is that Joni is playing in an unusual open tuning. She has the guitar strings tuned in a pretty different way than standard tuning. Specifically, she's tuned the guitar to a C major seven tuning, which is a tuning I've never used before. It's very cool, and it's really kind of the keystone that holds together this whole song. So C major seven open tuning. Let's start with standard tuning. A standard guitar is tuned in fourths with a major third between the second and third strings. So it goes E A D G B E. So Joni's tuning on Help Me is quite a bit different from that. She's tuned the sixth string all the way down to C, and the fifth string also down to G, which is pretty standard kind of C tuning to get that fifth C to G in the sixth and fifth strings. The fourth string she's tuned up from D to E, and the third string is down from G also to E. So both of those strings are on E. And then she's left the second and first strings on B and E. As a result, if you tune a guitar this way and then just strum it, you get a C major seven chord just as an open chord: C, G, E, E, B, E. So what's cool about this tuning is that because strumming the open strings gets you that nice major seven chord, you can just put your finger down across the entire fretboard anywhere on the fretboard. That's called barring. You just bar your finger across the board and you move up and down the neck, and each time you do, you get a different major seventh chord. So major seventh, I've been saying that a lot. I've talked about major sevenths a lot on the show, but just in case this is your very first episode, a major seven chord is like a regular major chord, a major triad. It just has a seventh added in. So in the case of C, you take a basic C major chord, a C major triad, C, E, and G, and then you just add a B, which is the seventh scale degree, on top. So you get C, E, G, B. Which gives it this nice, lush sound. It's just a kind of bigger, richer sound. Like I said, I've talked about major seventh chords a whole lot. They turn up in a lot of songs. They're a really useful device. And the major seventh sound is the defining sound of "Help Me." And the reason for that is entirely down to this tuning that Joni used. She basically turned her guitar into a major seven machine, and as a result, almost every chord in "Help Me" is a major seven chord. Help me, I think I'm falling. Joni Mitchell is famous for using unusual open tunings. She would at times have a bunch of guitars on stage with her, each one tuned differently for a different song, and she just sort of cycled through them. I don't actually use open tunings that much in my own playing, though I talked more about them in my episode on Jeff Buckley's song "Last Goodbye." And man, they're really fun, and they can open a lot of doors creatively. So back to the beginning of the song. Help me begins with Joni just strumming along on that A sus two chord before John Guerin sets up the downbeat on the drums and then the full band enters. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that crazy feeling. 
man, what a way to start a song. They sing Help Me, all of these copies of Joni Mitchell. And if you're going to start a song, it's never a bad idea to start with a beautifully harmonized backup vocal arrangement singing the name of the song. And what an arresting opening phrase. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. There is so much to say about Joni's vocal phrasing and about her voice in general. She has one of the most beautiful voices ever recorded. But I actually want to start by breaking down the ensemble arrangement that she's singing over. Help Me is more than just a vocal showcase. It's a whole ensemble showcase. It's a whole ensemble composition. And every instrument in the group is placed and played so perfectly that it creates this rich sonic world for you to just go live in. I always feel like I just go live in this song whenever I listen to it. I had a lot of fun recreating this arrangement on my own, and I'm looking forward to building that sonic world back up for you all, piece by piece. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that crazy feeling, I know I'm in trouble again. I'm in trouble. So just to go over the parts as I'm going to piece them together, here at the start we've got John Guerin in on the drum set and Max Bennett is in on the bass. Max Bennett plays a pretty simple bass part throughout this tune, but it's really tasteful and it supports the overall arrangement very well. Joe Sample is over on the left on the electric piano. He's playing pretty subtly at first, and then you start to hear a little more from him as the song goes on. And then a couple of bars into the song, over on the right, Larry Carlton makes a beautiful entrance on the electric guitar, and he just plays so much tasty stuff over the course of this recording. So let's start with the drums. Guirin is playing this really nice bouncing groove. It's almost a sort of a Brazilian thing, like a Brazilian samba, especially in the pattern that he's playing in the kick drum and in the hi-hat. It's this heartbeat, gagoon, 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 that really gives this song its pulse. If we want to break that down in terms of thump, pop, and sizzle, it's the thump and the sizzle that are making this groove distinct. So on Strong Songs, I talk a lot about thump, pop, and sizzle whenever I'm talking about groove, because those are the three basic elements of most grooves, especially on drum set, but even not on drum set with percussion ensembles or just songs that are using sampled percussion. Thump, pop, and sizzle, pretty much every groove is going to have some element of each of those three things, or if it's missing one of those elements, that'll also be a distinctive aspect of the groove. So on a drum set, you have a thump, which is down low, usually a kick drum or something else, median low, thump, thump. Then you have a pop, which kind of offsets the thump. It's usually a snare drum, a clap, something like that. In this song, it's just a snare drum. And then you have the sizzle, which is something with a higher timbre that subdivides the space in between the thumps and the pops. And on this song, that sizzle is a hi-hat, which it very often is when a drum set is involved. So I mentioned the samba thing, that heartbeat that's present in both the thump, the kick drum, and the sizzle, the hi-hat. In fact, this groove on Help Me is best thought of as two heartbeats superimposed on top of one another. So the thump is playing a heartbeat pattern like this. And the hi-hat is doing the same thing, but the heartbeat part, the sat, that part of the groove is happening in the space in between the kick drum heartbeats. So you can hear that, right? How it sounds like two hearts beating at the same time. Gagung from the kick and then sat 
from the hi-hat with the snare drum pop coming right at the end of that hi-hat heartbeat. So go-goon, go-goon, boom It's a really nice effect and it gives this groove this quality that feels kind of alive because, well, of course it does, right? I mean, it has a pulse. So I mentioned Max Bennett's bass playing. It's very restrained in this song, mostly just big open roots and fifths, but he supports the groove in a way that fits really well into the ensemble. And the last part of the pulse is Joni's acoustic guitar playing. I believe she's actually strumming with her fingernails. I'm using a pick. It adds a nice bit of sizzle, that attack on the strings, along with the hi-hat, and it adds to the lightness of this recording. The last two instrumental elements that I want to introduce, at least for now, are Joe Sample's electric piano over on the left and Larry Carlton's electric guitar over on the right. Sample is the less noticeable of those two chordal kind of color instruments, though he had some really nice textural stuff throughout this recording. You almost can't hear him at times, but he is just kind of fleshing out the mids a bit with these kind of lower voicings on the electric piano as he moves through the harmony, and then he'll just step to the front for a single flourish on a single chord, and then fade back. Now, Larry Carlton is much more noticeable, and like I said, I love his playing on this tune. It has been a real joy to learn some of his guitar parts. So like I said, Help Me is mostly major seven chords, and because Joni is just kind of steadily strumming the chords in that major seven tuning that she's in, Carlton is freed up to improvise a lot of color into the spaces between her vocal phrases, and he really does so. So let's actually go through the chords to the verse, and we'll let Larry Carlton's guitar part be our guide. So he lays out for the first two chords, those go pretty quickly, a kind of that A sus to an E minor 7. The first real landing point is a G major 7 chord, which Carlton just pulls down from the first string, a very tasteful entrance. Then the next chord is an F major 7, down a whole step, he does something really similar there, moves down to the open E string and kind of moves around that nice major 7 voicing. Then it goes quickly through a C major 7, and then it resolves to a G major 7, so we're still moving. And on the G major 7, he does something very creative and very guitar-y. He uses the open G string with an F sharp, so you're getting this rub between the major 7th and the root, that half step, that really emphasizes the sound of the major 7. And again, he's freed up to do that because he doesn't have to be playing full chord voicings. So then the song has its first bar of 3-8, which don't worry, we'll get to it in a little bit. And there at the end of the verse, it goes into a few more major seven chords, and Carlton moves up the neck to do this cool parallel fourth stuff. First on a D major seven, then down to a B flat major seven, and then resolving to F major seven. Carlton's tone is such a big part of what makes this work. He's playing a Gibson ES-335 electric guitar, one of my very favorite electric guitar sounds. It's such a warm, round sound, especially in that upper register. It's just, it's immediately identifiable compared with other famous guitars like a growling Les Paul or the twangy crunch of a Telecaster, that kind of quacky spank of a Strat. It, none of those guitars sound like a 335, and Larry Carlton was very famous as a 335 player, and this recording is such a good example of what a round, gorgeous sound that guitar can get. 
All right, well, those are the basic elements, at least until we add Joni's vocals and Tom Scott's woodwinds on top. So let's listen back to my recreation, and don't focus too much on the counting. Just try to hear each element in its place. The drums underneath bouncing along with those dual layered heartbeats and the thump and the sizzle. The bass steady and broad on the bottom, holding up the whole thing. The acoustic guitar humming along at a steady clip in the middle. The electric piano over on the left, filling things in and Larry Carlton's beautiful electric guitar adding bursts of creative color over on the right. I'll play my recreation first, and then you can hear the same thing in the original. Just put your ears on and see what you can hear. Here we go. Alright, so let's fade in the original and just keep hearing the same parts as they fit together. I like your love, your So those are the basic elements supporting this song. That's the arrangement, and they're all crucial. They're the road Joni is driving down, or the bass is the pavement, the drums are the engine, the guitar is the scenery out the window, but Joni's the one at the wheel, and her vocals are front and center for this song. This song is a great showcase for Joni Mitchell's incredibly free vocal style, which fits so well with her unusually free lyrical style, and between them, she just is a singer that feels untethered by gravity. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again When I get that crazy feeling I know I'm in trouble again I'm in trouble cause you're a rambler and a gambler and a sweet talking I mean, that phrasing, those lyrics, just the whole melody of this song, no one else sings like this. No one else writes songs like this. I really recommend learning at least just this first verse and singing it along with Joni, which isn't something that you hear people do that often. You probably won't sound that great, but it's a fascinating exercise because it really drives home just how iconoclastic she was, both as a vocalist and as a melodist. Like, all right, here we go. Sing with me. I think I'm falling in love again When I get that crazy feeling I know I'm in trouble again I'm in trouble Cause you're a rambler and a gambler And a sweet-talking ladies man And you love your loving And I like your love, your freedom <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I'm guessing a lot of you didn't just immediately sing along with me there, but it took me a little while to really learn her little mannerisms just to be able to sing along with her down the octave. There's so much going on there. That is like a whole meal of a vocal performance just in that first verse. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that crazy feeling, I know. She's just such a fully formed vocalist at this point. Every moment of this performance is so expressive and packed with nuance. The way she exhales after, Help me, I think I'm falling. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. 
how she stretches the time as she sort of soars upward on the next line. When I get that crazy feeling, I know I'm in trouble again. When I get that crazy feeling, I know I'm in trouble again. The way she makes the next phrase just skip along both melodically and lyrically. I'm in trouble because you're a rambler and a gambler and a... And then here she really tightens it up. Sweet talking ladies, man. I'm in trouble because you're a rambler and a gambler and a sweet talking ladies, man. The way she scoops into the word lovin' on the next phrase. And you love your lovin'. I mean, I could go on and on. I could do this for every single phrase in this song. Just listen again to Joni sing through that first verse and just try to really fly along with her. Let go of your preconceptions of how you think the melody goes and really focus on the details, the little stylistic and rhythmic flourishes she adds to every single part of the melody. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. When I get that crazy feeling, I know. And now I want to bring this back to the ensemble and specifically to Larry Carlton's guitar playing because Joni's vocal melody isn't just an incredible work of singing and songwriting on its own. It fits so beautifully into the arrangement at every moment. Like notice at the very beginning, Joni sings, help me, I think I'm falling. And in the space that she leaves after the word falling, Carlton's opening guitar chord unfurls from the ceiling like a chandelier, just as she completes the phrase in love again. And throughout this, the electric piano and the electric guitar just kind of bounce off of one another. It's just immaculate stuff. So now I want to talk about Tom Scott, since his woodwind and sax playing adds so much to this recording. And this is, of course, his band, LA Express, accompanying Joni. But really quick, okay, there's this weird sound right at the beginning during that opening phrase. And I just want to point it out. I'm not sure what it is, but it sounds a little like a dog barking, maybe? It's over on the left, right here. Help me, I think I'm falling in love again. It's right after she says the word love. There's just this, like... Ooh, sound over on the left. In love again. You hear that? Ooh, sounds kind of like a dog, right? In love again. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a dog. Maybe it's the electric piano since that's panned over there. Maybe someone dropped something in the studio. Anyway, I love noticing that kind of thing. And once I started hearing that, I couldn't unhear it. I actually thought for a while that I'd accidentally recorded my dog into the recording. But no, it's it's just there. <laughs> so not my dog barking, but maybe somebody's dog barking. Um, if anyone has any theories as to what that might be, definitely let me know. Listeners at StrongSongsPodcast.com. 
So Tom Scott, a very important part of this recording, not just because this was his band, as I've mentioned, his backing band, LA Express, recording with Joni, he also added a lot to the recording. So Tom Scott is a fantastic player, a very in-demand guy, a session player in Los Angeles in the 1970s and 80s, really into the 90s. I mean, he's played on a million records. He did a bunch of stuff with Steely Dan. He's on Babylon Sisters, which I did an episode about. He's in the horn section for Lido Shuffle, Toto's Rosanna, like any horn section that you hear on a record in the 1970s, there's a good chance that Tom Scott was playing saxophone in the horn section. His list of credits is wild. So on this recording, he's mainly playing flute, tenor sax, and berry sax, or at least that's what I'm hearing. His first entrance is here. He comes in on flutes, some overdubbed flutes that play this nice harmonized part along with the backup vocals. I like your love, your Tom Scott's overdub flute ensemble comes back in during the instrumental breakdown that happens at the end of every verse. It's a cool riff that's accented by a nice baritone sax line. I really dig that part. Super hip, very jazz-influenced. Really just jumps a whole step. It goes G-G-G-G-A. Just repeats that a few times. So it's just a nice parallel motion between two major chords, G and then A. I wanted to recreate it. It was easy enough to do that, at least, for the flute parts. So that sounds nice, but it's kind of missing something without that baritone sax, and I don't have a baritone sax, so I can't do that little dive bomb. However, I do have a recent new acquisition that I'm very excited about, a bass clarinet. So let's see how that sounds. That's pretty nice. I think that'll do. Can it go any lower? Nice. Well, I think that that will do nicely. Well, let's put a rhythm section under that and I think we'll have it. So here we are in the second verse, and you've got all the basic ingredients of this recording, but of course, they're anything but basic. They're all so well done, carefully mixed and arranged. The sonic landscape of this song is just extraordinary. So now that we're in the second verse, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk more about form, because it's an unusual form. It's full of odd meter bars and odd phrase lengths, but it's not random. And once you have your ears around the essential elements of the song, it's easier to unfocus a bit and start to see the bigger picture. So it can be a bit challenging to lay out the form for someone because it really quickly starts to feel like you're just describing the turns and flow of a river. Like, well, here's some water, and then there's some more water, and then it kind of turns, and then it's just, well, it's really just more water. Like, it's hard to get your head around it unless you sit down and actually learn it, unless you get on the river and kind of take a boat 
down the river. Otherwise, it can just feel very diffuse and unfocused. But I think that I can convey what's cool about it, what's unusual about it, without getting too bogged down in the details. So this song breathes. It takes irregular breaths, and that's the best way that I can think of it. It really does feel like a living thing to me. And I know I've used a lot of metaphors in this episode. When talking about this song, a hummingbird, a river, my partner Emily describes the melody as moving like a leaf blown on the wind. You can really take your pick. And really, they're all kind of conveying the same thing, that breathing, moving, living quality. In the opening phrase, the chords move quickly at first, and then gradually with each subsequent chord, they move more and more slowly, and the song spends more time on each chord. So the first two chords of the piece, A sus and E minor 7, those are just two beats apiece. Joni sings, help me, I think I'm falling. The chords move underneath those words, and then we land on a nice G major 7 chord. That's that first landing point that I already mentioned. She stays on that chord for two bars, for two measures, eight beats, so a pretty long time. And then she drops a whole step down to F major 7 and stays on that chord for three bars, so one more bar than she stayed on the G major 7 chord. So it's a pair of quick breaths, A sus, E minor 7, to a landing point, G major 7, for two measures, to a longer, more relaxed landing on F major 7 for three bars. Then it goes to C major 7 for just two beats, and then resolves back to G major. So now listen back to the recording, and don't worry too much about the specific chords, just pay attention to how they breathe. They move quickly, and then slower, and then even slower as she spends more and more time on each subsequent chord. And I'll play along on piano to help you hear when the chords change. F smoke and ash we see It's so distinct to Joni, it's so organic. There's just this organic quality to the whole song that applies to her use of odd meter as well. She throws in an occasional bar of 3-8 at two different points in the verse, which is just another layer of rhythmic displacement. Most of the song is in 4-4, it's the most common time signature to the point where it's called common time, four beats per bar, one, two, three, four. That's the groove of this song. But at two different points in each verse, she throws in a bar of 3-8, which is just three eighth notes long. So instead of one, two, three, four, you get one, two, three. So if you count it, it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, which can really trip you up if you're trying to count along with it and means it's kind of easier to just go with the flow unless you really know what they're doing. Here's the bar of 3 A. 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2. 
It's such a cool use of an odd meter because of how it interacts with the melody and the lyrics. She sings, "We love our loving, but not like we love our freedom," which is a recurring theme for this song. You know, these two people love to be in love, but they actually really love to be free. And so when she sings the word freedom, the band hits this bar of three eight underneath her. The ground just seems to drop out from under her, and her vocals jump an entire octave as she sings the word freedom. It's this perfect synthesis of Rhythmic trickery, melodic verticality, and lyric writing—it's a wonderful confluence. Just ridiculous stuff. Let me count that again, just so you can really get your ears around it and start to hear that bar of three-eight whenever it happens. So we're in four here. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. The other bar of three eight is more straightforward, but it's also weirdly easier to miss. It happens right at the end of each verse during that instrumental riff. Ba da ba ba da. Most of the time that's in four four, but the last time, ba da ba ba da, they do a bar of three eight, which just offsets the riff that you've gotten used to to trip you up just a little bit before they turn it back around for the start of the next verse. Let me count it, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. One two. It's tricky, but if you can get your head around it, it's pretty fun to follow along. That said, I don't think the idea is to like wow people with how hip it is that there are these odd meter bars in the song. I think the purpose of those little three eight hiccups is to further push the listener off balance and to give them no choice but to surrender and come along for the ride. Along with the irregular phrase lengths, unpredictable melody, and constantly shifting chord progression, those odd meter bars underlying this song's overarching feeling of floating and falling, skipping and tumbling, forward and downward and upward again. And just when you think you found your footing, Joni takes a hard left into the bridge. Didn't it feel good? The lyrical refrain of this bridge it repeats many times over the course of the bridge, and it really it kind of lands this bridge firmly on the side of the sensual, immediate appeal of new love. Just how much fun it is, how good it feels to just sit and talk or not talk with someone that you're newly in love with, and that's basically the conflict at the heart of this song. It's a conflict between the straightforward appeal of love, how good it feels, and all the baggage that we bring with it, how we've been hurt in the past, and how much we love being free and untethered. The song bounces back and forth between those two things pretty much constantly from start to finish. In the verse leading up to this bridge, the second verse, Joni sings, "It's got me hoping for the future and worrying about the past." You've got both things. I've seen some hot, hot blazes come down to smoke and ash, 
We love our lovin', but not like we love our freedom. That conflict is there in every single line. It's got me hoping for the future and worrying about the past. Cause I've seen some hard, hard places come down to smoke and ash. We know. So there's all this conflict in the verses, lyrically and musically, in the way that the verses are constantly pushing and pulling in these irregular phrases with these odd meter bars. But she sets that all aside for the bridge, which is more of a celebration of just how good love can feel. The song arrives at a new place here. It feels more settled and groovy. It stops surging and tumbling, and just for the bridge, it finally grooves. <laughs> and it does feel good. During the bridge, everyone in the band starts playing a significantly different part. John Guerin on the drums, he goes up to the cymbal, he begins playing a more straightforward pop rock groove, while on the bass, Max Bennett really changes it up. He switches to this kind of Motown soul bass line. You've heard that bass line a lot of times, and it really moves. It adds a whole new level of groove for this bridge. The guitars and electric piano are also in on the groove. This is actually the one part of this song where Larry Carlton is just kind of playing chords with a rhythmic figure, um, rather than filling space with those fills and flourishes that he's been doing for most of the song. Of course, he changes that up when they get to the second half of the bridge. Man, I just love Larry Carlton's playing. So meanwhile, Tom Scott has switched over to the tenor sax for this bridge. That's going to have a more brash sound than the flutes that he used on the verse, and that's fitting for the tonal shift into this more sensual, groovy kind of feeling on the bridge. It's not a complicated part that he's playing, but it sounds very different, and it adds a nice new color to the recording, which really helps set the bridge apart. Okay, so here's my full recreation of that bridge groove, and as you listen, just really take the whole thing in, the way each instrument has changed up their playing to bring a more playful, grounded bounce to the song, just for this bridge. The drums have moved to a more standard pop groove up on the cymbal, the bass is bouncing along on that Motown thing, just repeating that rhythmic figure, the electric guitar is just playing a chordal rhythm over on the right for the first part of the bridge, and the tenor sax is laying down some nice pads on top over on the left. Okay, here we go. Of course, as always, Joni Mitchell's vocals are the final piece of the bridge puzzle. In particular, I really love the backup vocals that she's recorded on the second half there. The song just becomes this full-on girl group soul song for just four bars. You can basically imagine this part being sung by the Supremes or the Ronettes.
just such a good bridge, this moment to exalt in the groovy, good feeling of love, before one final instrumental breakdown transitions us back to that tumbling, liminal space for the final verse. Joni Mitchell's vocals on this song. A lot of the time when Joni sings, you can really clearly hear her moving between her chest resonance and her head resonance. Chest resonance being down here where I'm talking, head resonance being up here in what some people call falsetto. And you can really hear when Joni does a big jump um, in a lot of her recordings. You'll hear her make these big acrobatic leaps up into her head voice, not even trying to blend the two different sounds. I'm gonna see the folks I dig. I'll even kiss a sunset pig. California, I'm coming home. It's a big part of her style. It's such a beautiful way of singing, and it's so free. But then again, she has a lovely mix as well, where she mixes those two resonances. And here on this final verse, I mean, there are just these points where she's sitting so beautifully in her mix. Um, I can't mix in the same key as her, but when she sings, that's such a lonely thing to do. Like, listen to her vocal delivery. She just floats the lonely, this like, that's such a long. She's at that little bounce, long. And then she sort of strengthens out of it. It's so light on that higher note, almost a whisper. And then she sort of strengthens as she lands the phrase on thing to do, lonely thing to do. I mean, this is my poor impersonation of Joni, but it just goes to show what total vocal control she has. Are you gonna let me go there by myself? That's such a lonely thing to do. Both of us flirting around flirting. Like I've said, I could write a dissertation on every line that Joni Mitchell sings in this song, or really most of her songs. So there are a couple other little flourishes here that I really love and also want to point out um, from Larry Carlton and Max Bennett on the guitar and the bass. They're both really embracing that falling motif. First, Max Bennett, who, you know, he's just been totally this stalwart bass player for this entire tune. And then there's one note here. He moves out of support mode and up the neck of the bass, right as Joni sings, help me at the start of the third verse. He goes up to an A up the neck and then he falls down the neck, almost like he's joining the backup vocals just for that single note. Listen for it. It's right as she sings, help me. I love that kind of thing when a bass player just chooses his moment and steps forward. Help me, I think I'm falling in love with you. So the other little thing I love happened right there. It's almost a counterpoint to Max Bennett's fall down the neck. Larry Carlton slides up his neck. He has this triad and he slides up to a D triad for that G major 7 chord. It's almost like he's picking up the note that Max Bennett dropped and flinging it upward. Listen to it in the recording and just try to hear those two parts as they relate to one another. First the bass falling downward and then the electric guitar spiraling upward. Help me, I think I'm falling in love with <laughs> so good. Are you gonna let me go there by 
This instrumental outro, it's a bit similar to the bridge in some ways. It's a little groovier than the verse, a little bit more settled. Tom Scott's tenor sax is back. But I think it's crucial that Joni ends by reiterating the idea that she keeps coming back to, that while love is wonderful and we can love love, we'll never love it like we love our freedom. Not like we love Like the song's wavering narrator, Joni Mitchell's Help Me refuses to settle down. He refuses to find a steady groove for more than a few bars at a time, refuses to settle on a key center or a harmonic home bass, and lyrically, he refuses to make that final decision between falling in love and walking away. The hummingbird never lands, it just keeps fluttering and floating, and as the song slowly fades away, that moment of indecision comes into focus as the whole point of the song. This song is alive in the moment. It's at that magic point between commitment and flight when fear and excitement stand hand in hand and when everything is possible. And that's the magic of Joni Mitchell's music. Her songs create a space for total freedom where anything and everything becomes possible. That'll do it for my analysis of Help Me by Joni Mitchell. This episode was such a joy to make. I had a really great time getting in there, recreating as much of the recording as I could. I know a lot of you have been excited for a Joni Mitchell episode, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Strong Songs really is a labor of love. I love making it, but it does involve a lot of labor, and thanks to those of you who support this show financially, I'm able to make it one of my main sources of income, so I can really put that kind of work into it. But I do need that support to keep making it so if you like this show if you get something out of it and if you're able to chip in i hope that you'll consider doing so there are patreon and paypal links down in the show notes and hey there's always new stuff in the patreon bonus feed if you want just a little bit more strong songs in your life I also really do hope that you'll take the time after this episode to just go and really sit down with some Joni Mitchell records and just take them in. There's so much there, even just in her vocal performances and her lyrics. Just direct your attention to different parts of the recording and really sit with it. Take the time. It's worth it. She's one of those artists that I could listen to forever, and I hope that I inspire at least a few of you to spend some more time with her. Okay, this episode's outro soloist is the great Eric Elligers on the tenor sax with a solo that he recorded a little while back. And I just want to say I'm working on lining up some new soloists for the show, some new outro soloists, and specifically some new non-dude outro soloists, since I know almost all of the outro solos that I have were played by men. It's been slower going getting new soloists than I'd like. It's partly just people are busy again, they're back on tour. I also just need to put some more work into it. But I do plan to have some good new outro soloists in the near future, since there are so many 
more musicians out there that I want to feature. So I know kind of a long explanation for something, but it's a thing I wanted to mention since it's an imbalance that I'm aware of. It's one I think gets exacerbated when I reuse solos, but sometimes that's just the way it goes. At any rate, stick around for Eric Elliger's, and I'll see you in two weeks with more Strong Songs. <laughs>